All right. Well, good morning, everybody. God bless you all. Glad to see your faces. Some of you look happier than others. Check out the gaggle of punks in the back. Come on, boys. Smile. It was a long night, wasn't it? <laughs> a couple of them wandered downstairs this morning at like 3.30 in the morning, and I was in the kitchen working on the message and stuff, and I'm not usually doing that, okay? Don't take, I'm not Tozier over here. I couldn't sleep, you know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, I hear them come down the stairs, so I just turned around and waited. <laughs> They were not expecting to see me. <laughs> we had a really nice conversation, and uh, they're good boys. So, But I'm glad to see they dragged their butts to church today. It's good stuff. Uh, we are in the book of Deuteronomy, of course, and chapter 5, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Um, for those of you who haven't already heard, uh, we are doing Operation Christmas Child. It's through Franklin Graham Ministries. Uh, there's still boxes out there. All you do is grab a box. It's got all the information inside. Uh, we purchased some gifts for children, and it goes all around the globe. It goes everywhere around the globe. It doesn't cost a lot of money, and it's nothing for us, but to them, it's a huge, giant blessing. Uh, and along with getting a Christmas present, they get to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They get to hear the Christmas story. So it's a beautiful thing. Help yourself to the boxes out there. If you've already taken one, feel free to take two, three, or four. It's all good. Uh, the other thing I'd like to announce, this is for everybody here, but also for people who might be listening online um, and who haven't been coming because you got little kids and the little kids can't sit still and they're running around or whatever. We have a media center that we set up downstairs. We got a brand new 55-inch HD 4K Ultra HD TV and a sound bar and all that stuff. Uh, and, we, and we have a feed going right downstairs live um, from the service up here. So, so if, if, if you're out there in, in TV land and you're listening, don't be afraid to come to church and fellowship because you think my kids may not make it through the service. You can go right downstairs and continue and you can listen. It's loud so the kids can kind of play and, and you can do your thing as well. Um, so let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you and we praise you and we glorify you for being who you are, Father, and in spite of being the king of the universe, the creator of all things, uh, Lord, and in spite of how sinful we are, Father, you love us, you condescended to us, you sent your only begotten Son, and he was willing to take up the cross and die a horrible death for no other reason than because he loves us, Father. And we are a treasure in your eyes, Father, we are valued in your eyes, Father, and we're so really befuddled by that, Father, but so grateful and so thankful for it. And we pray that our thanksgiving and our gratefulness would be expressed through our obedience to your word, Father, that we would not simply be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word, that we would be excited about doing the things of the word, Father, that it would be something that consumes us and our hearts, Father. And as we draw closer to you, Father, in the light of your glory and grace, Father, the things of this world would grow strangely dim, Father. We ask and pray, Lord God, that you'd be conforming us into the image of your beautiful Son, and so that we could represent your gospel and your kingdom to a world correctly, Father, to a world that so desperately needs it, Father, who are lost and angry and hurting and alone uh, and afraid, Father. And we pray and ask, Lord, that you would use us as your ambassadors to bring them the truth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, Father, but not go without going along with it, Father, the love that he showed for the people while he was here, Father. Help us to reflect that in all that we do and in everything that we say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, <clears throat> we are picking up in verse uh, 16. Deuteronomy 5, 16, dad went through 
what's called the first table of the commandments, and I'm going to finish the second table of the commandments. And this is, this is something to understand, a little Sunday school stuff, a little background, a little, little, this is, I like to do framework. When it comes to your knowledge of God and your understanding of the scriptures, it's best to build up a framework. You need to have a framework that you can build everything up on and around, the framework of the word of God. So it's, it's a great thing to be a student of the, of the Bible. That's what God expects of us. That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be students. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved, a workman need, who need not be ashamed. God has called us to be workmen for the kingdom. And in order to be correct workmen and to do with it the way, anybody who's ever worked a trade or who knows about working in construction, you don't just get to go, I don't just get to go to a job site and just start throwing pipe up any which way I want. You know, I think the pipe should go diagonal through the window, boss, you know. And the boss says, you idiot, there's a blueprint, you moron, you know. And five, six times I figured it out after a while. It took me a while. But there has been no acceptance. No one would ever for one second be willing to, to allow me to pipe out a sprinkler system just the way I thought it ought to look. It's been designed, it's been hydraulically calculated, it's been carefully put together specifically to meet the fire protection needs of the building that is going up. And there's no room for error, there's no margin for error. And we understand this with so many aspects and avenues of our lives. We don't get to ever get on the airplane and the pilot say, this is your captain speaking, we're going to be cruising at about 35,000 feet and hey, we're going to see what happens. I'm thinking I might do a dive, I might go into a full barrel roll, you know what I'm saying? That's how I'm feeling today, kids. Hope you're okay with it, take care. You would be like, get me off of this plane right? You want your pilot to go exactly, specifically according to the way he was trained, according to the flight manuals, according to the radar, according to the flight path. You don't want him to divert. You don't want him to go to the right or to the left one single iota until you get safely where you're trying to go. You understand where I'm going with this, don't you? God has given us a blueprint. God has given us a diagram. God has given us instructions where which we might navigate our way through this life, not only in a way that's going to keep us out of trouble, but in a way that is pleasing to him and that puts us in a position where our lives can be lined up with his will and he can then use us to bring that gospel of truth and to bring that love to people who don't know him. It is exceedingly important. It is, it is in, in, in consequences are dire. We're talking about life and death, and not just life and death of the physical body, but we're talking about spiritual life and death. Being with God for all eternity versus being separated from God at all eternity. The souls of millions are at stake, and we have a generation of Christians today who just say, I just, I just feel this, and I just feel that, and I just feel like I want to do this, and I just feel like I want to do that. And I've had people say, but who are you to tell me? And who are you to tell me? I'm nobody. I'm nothing. And I return a question to them. What's your authority? What's the authority in your life by which you walk the, this, this earth and live your life and make the decisions that you make? My authority is the word of God. I believe that this is God's inerrant word and that it was passed down, that it was given to us in a miraculous way and preserved over hundreds of generations so that we could have it in our laps today so that we might know what is God's perfect, pleasing will for our lives. It's not a game, it's not a joke, and it's not something to be taken lightly. The consequences are severe and dire and extreme. The souls of our friends, the souls of our loved ones, the souls of our co-workers and countless others are at stake. And God has a plan for your life. And God wants to use you in the age that we live in to bring light to a dark world. 
to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring love to the unloved. They're out there and they're hurting. You see them on Facebook every day, right? Instead of getting into the art, listen, okay, I can sing in this choir. All right, I understand. You know, I'll write a whole paragraph out. Oh, you're such an idiot, you moron. You know what I mean? And then, and then I, got, and I look at it and I go, I can't, I, can't, I can't send any of that. I can't send any of that. All right, Lord, I know what I need to do. Private message. How you doing? How you doing? You know, God loves you. God's got a plan for your life. He loves you. You are of an incredible value and worth to your Lord. That's what people need to hear. That's what people need to see. And as the scripture says, if we don't bring them the message, who will? Who will? But it starts with us. It starts with you, and it starts with me, in each of our hearts, individually and personally, being willing to line ourselves up to what God's word says. And that's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. It's second law. It's that next generation of Israelites who are now coming into the promised land, and Moses is reminding them of the things past, and he's reminding them of what God has said and what God has taught, and he's telling them over and over and over, you take careful heed to yourselves. You be very careful. You be very, very, very honed in like laser focused to do what God has told you you must do so that he can accomplish through you in this land what he has set out to accomplish. It's of dire consequences. So the first table of the commandments deals with our relationship with God. And we can, we can go through it very quickly. Um, if you go back to uh, verse 6 of chapter 5, and it always begins, God, God starts it off by his name, who he is. You understand? The importance. If you get a letter that says, from Frank, you say, okay, I can read that later, Right? Or, hey, look, honey, I found kindling to start a campfire, all right? And it says, I'm from the Lord your God. You better pay attention. And so God begins, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. And that doesn't just mean in chronological order or in order of importance. It means in his presence, before him, in front of his throne. The earth, the Bible says, is his footstool. Don't have any other gods before me in my presence. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. You can listen to Dad's message for that. But showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And we'll skip down to verse 16. That's where we pick up. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which, your Lord, which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Uh, so, second table of the commandments, okay? God first deals with our relationship with him. That's the first table of the commandments. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no gods before me. And he goes from there. 
Those first commandments are concerning our relationship to God. The second half of the commandments, the second table, is concerning our relationship with our fellow man. Uh, verse 16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long and that it, be well, it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The importance here that God puts on honoring your mother and father. Now, you may not know this, parents, and some of you may, that your children were put under your care by Almighty God for you to teach them to hear and obey the voice of God. Along with all the other stuff you got to teach them, right? To use the bathroom, to brush their teeth for heaven's sakes, to take a shower once a month, all the other stuff, right? But along with that, the most important thing, the most important that we have uh, job that we have as parents is we are in to instruct our children to obey, to, he to be able to hear, to heed, and to obey the voice of God. When we send our kids out of our homes into the world, and you see so often in so many situations and circumstances where kids leave the home and then they just go nuts and they go off. The and listen, this is, I'm not putting any guilt on anybody, okay? Listen, Diane, it wasn't your fault. Listen, Joey, <laughs> you know, right, Joe? <laughs> right? When we get to a certain age, a, a child gets to a certain age, it's on them, right? They're, Joey's back here today, because, not because his mommy made him come, right? Joey's back here today because God got a hold of that man's life and said, you're with me, kid. And he said, I'm with you. And here he is, right? Every person, when they get to the age of accountability, they have to have their own relationship. You are not going to get to heaven on your parents' steam, right? You're not going to get to heaven based on your parents' relationship with God. It's on you. But I'm talking about those younger, formidable years. Something as simple as telling our children, come here. Don't go out in the street. If this, then that. You understand? It's the same context, it's the same kind of way in which God gives us commandments, and we are teaching our children to obey the voice of God. And you tell your child, this is what I want you to do, and they say, but, 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 but. <laughs> and you say, listen, listen to me. Why? Or they say, why, 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 why? And what do we tell our kids? Obey my voice. Do what I've told you to do because I told you to, Right? Because I told you to. And it's what I used to tell my kids. After you obey, then we can talk about the why. Then we can talk about your side of things. After the obedience comes. You, you, see, you see where I'm going with this? It is extremely important. God has put parents in the lives of children, and he expresses this through the law. And Moses tells them, teach this to your children. When you're going along the way, when you get up in the morning, when you're sitting down to dinner, talk about these things. Ask your children, what do you think about this stuff? Teach them the law of God continually have this stuff be on your heart so that they'll know it, so that they'll know what's expected of them when they become of age. And so in light of that comes this commandment, honor your father and your mother uh, as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Your parents created you. God ultimately did, but you understand what I'm saying. They created you. Uh, you love them because they first loved you. They love unconditionally and self-sacrificially, and they give us the commandments that we learn to obey. And so God has put parents in the lives of their children as a picture, okay, you understand? As a picture of their future relationship with God. And so that parent-child relationship is extremely, extremely important. You've heard people say before, you know, you have to have a license to drive a car, but anybody can have a kid, right? Right? 
Well, it's, it's, it's kind of funny and ha, 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 but, but, but really, really, it's something that we ought to take very, very seriously and think about soberly and how we deal with our children. And likewise, children ought to be uh, obedient to their parents and to honor them. Let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Most of you guys know this portion. Matthew chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now understand before we'll stop there, this was a tradition that was handed down from generation to generation. This was not anything that was, that was written specifically in the Torah. This is something that was a tradition of the elders. And the tradition of the elders was put on equal footing with Scripture. And this is something that Jesus continually combated when he was dealing with the religious hypocrites. And he's going to say it to him right here. You teach for doctrine the traditions of men. God doesn't care about your tradition. God doesn't care about your denomination. When you stand up there and say, well, this is what I did, this is what I did. Why did you do that? Well, I belong to this church. It's not my fault. I belong to this church. No, no. You had my word. You have my word like everybody else. And we're going to be held accountable to that. But the, the Pharisees were hypocrites. They were hypocrites. And they had come to a place where everything that they did was to advance their position, increase their wealth, and gain more and more power over the people. And like we talked about before, Jesus Christ came to what? Set us free. Set us free. And when Jesus taught, he was setting the people free from the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. That's one of the reasons they wanted him dead and ended up killing him or having him killed. So why do your, your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread? He answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded saying, honor your father and your mother and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father and mother Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. In other words, what the Pharisees would do, and, and, and you know, when we were over in Israel, we went into a Pharisee's house, and they were wealthy, okay? The religious uh, leaders were wealthy. They cheated the people. They robbed the people. It wasn't for no reason that Jesus Christ went into the temple twice and tipped over the tables and made a whip out of cords and beat the living tar out of everybody in, in his proximity, you know what I'm saying? I want the video, by the way. You understand? Like, I want the video. I want the video because I love it. I love it that Jesus Christ goes into the temple, the revered temple, that people came the world over around who were seekers of Jehovah God, only to come in and be robbed by the religious hypocrites who told them, you can't buy sacrifices with your Roman money. It's pagan. You have to exchange your Roman money for temple money. And the exchange rate was a joke, and they would fleece the people. They'd leave the place robbed. Some churches like that still today. And Jesus Christ went in there and immediately began to beat them up <laughs> and tip over their tables and let the animals loose in the temple and cried out, it is written, my father's house will be called a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus hated their traditions. Jesus hated their religion. Because by their tradition and by their liturgies, they made the commandments of God null and void. 
he goes on to say, you don't honor your father and mother. I mean, this is the Ten Commandments, dummies, right? This is what Jesus is saying, really, in essence. This is the Ten Commandments. We're not talking about some obscure law from Leviticus chapter 14 or something, right? We're talking about, I better look at that. It might be the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the Ten Commandments here. Honor your father and mother. Everybody knows that one. And because of your tradition and your liturgies and your, and your, and your, and your uh, religious um, jargon, you've made it so that you don't have to honor your father and mother. They would tell their parents, listen, anything that you might have received in any way that I would have taken care of you and anything the way that I would have helped you with all the money that I'm getting from being this religious leader, it, it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. You know, I belong to God and I can't be bothered with taking care of your needs. Doesn't that sound just exactly like a religious person? And people are so fed up with religious people. You heard it probably 100,000 times. People don't care how much you know, right? Until they know how much you care. Until they know how much you care. That's why God so expressly puts our relationship with people right alongside our relationship with God. You want to know how my relationship is with God? Follow me around and see how my relationship is with people, okay? Not really, please don't. You're going to be rebuking me next Sunday, all right? I get it right sometimes. I get it wrong sometimes. I fall, I get back up. I want to love my neighbor as I love myself. I love myself. First thing I think of every single morning, me. You know what I mean? Oh, my mouth, it's disgusting. It's like I had a small animal nesting in there. You know what I mean? Oh, me, me, me. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I desire flapjacks, right? I desire griddle cakes. I desire me. I think of me all the time. Jesus says, now, think in your mind of how you always think of yourself and how you always take care of yourself continually. It never, you never stop taking care of yourself. What if you thought about other people that way? What if we thought about other people that way? What if we sat around thinking, you know what? It seemed like this person over here was hurting. It's just driving me crazy. I can't rest until I see how that person's doing until I talk to that person. Maybe, maybe I'll have an opportunity to tell them about, about Jesus. But they made all of that null and void because of their tradition. He says, hypocrites, hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And again, the Pharisees gained great social and financial gain by their positions, and rather than use their means to take care of their elderly parents, some forsook them under the guise of all their time and effort belonging to God, and Jesus called them out for it. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, <clears throat> this is Paul writing to Timothy, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I'll read that again. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Our families are our first ministry. And, uh, and they are also, along with being our first ministry, they are our daily opportunity to show that our relationship with God is in good health. They are our daily opportunity to show the world that our relationship with God is in good health. How do we talk to each other? How do we talk to our wives? How do we talk to our husbands? How do we talk to our children? Do we look out for one another? Do we take care of one another? All of these things, it starts there because, because these are matters of the heart. Your home fire, where your hearth is, where your home is, that's where your heart is. 
That's where your heart is. And all of our relationship with God and everything that comes down to your worship of God has to come from your heart. It's from spirit and truth, and it all comes from your heart. It all comes from who you are on the inside as a person. Nobody cares about our outward, uh, manifest, the outward manifestations of our religiosity, how many times we go to church, how many certain prayers we say and things that we do. Where is our heart? And Jesus called the religious leaders out on that, saying, well, did the prophet Isaiah prophesy about you, saying these people, they honor me with their lips. They talk about God, 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 God. They even say, they don't say God, they say God, right? God. <laughs> I'm just joking. That was just for free laughs. It didn't work at all. So anyway, we'll move on. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. You ever find that in your life? You ever find yourself just going through the motions as a Christian? You know what I'm saying? Get up in the morning, do your devotion, da-da-da-da-da, supposed to do this, supposed to do And the first time, and the first, the first interaction I have with another human being on, on, on 481 North, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, well, I hope you run on the road, you know what I mean? Wait a second, wait a second, and this is, stop right there, stop right there, why'd you do that devotion this morning? Why did you bother praying this morning? Why'd you sing that praise song this morning? Why were you doing it? That's what we do, we're Christians. We sing praise songs, we like certain songs, we listen to the, to, to the family life and, and air one and all these other things, that's what we do, and we do our daily breads and we have our things that, why? If there's no relationship that's being grown, that's being cultivated, that's being brought to fruition, brought to manifestation, brought to something that has the appearance of something and the structure and the soundness of something in your life, then it's for nothing. You waste our time. As the scripture says, we become like a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I give my body to the flames, if I give all that I have to the poor, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels and I don't have love in my heart, it's useless. It's worthless. I've accomplished nothing. All of it comes from the heart. Your relationship with God and your relationship with people, starting with your family, moving out. Honor one another. I love it. Uh, now, interestingly enough, and this is a perfect example of how Scripture has to be taken as a whole right? I could stand up here and I could pull a scripture from, you know, a couple of different passages and, and, and make you, or try at least, I couldn't make you guys, but I could try to make you believe any number of things. You can take the scripture, people do it all the time. Most of the conversations that I have with people about Christianity or about our relationship with God where they want to be argumentative, it's all scripture out of context. And again, this is why we need a framework. We need to understand what the Word of God says. We need to be students studying it to show ourselves approved because you have to take Scripture together as a whole because we have this commandment. We have what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here. But then in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 26, it says this. Now great multitudes went with him, and Jesus turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. 
So how do you combine these two truths and to what conclusion does it bring us? What Jesus was doing here was making a comparison. When we're talking about the first table of the Ten Commandments, right? Honor the Lord your God, love the Lord your God, no other gods, remember the Sabbath, all of these things. We're talking about a relationship with God. The second table of the Ten Commandments, we're talking about our relationship with people. Never, 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 ever, 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 ever forget this, that the first table, your relationship with God is as far preeminent above your relationship with people as the stars and the moon and the sun is preeminent over your ever-ready flashlight in your junk drawer. You understand what I'm saying? You can be nice to people, and we don't want to offend people, and we want to be friendly to people, and we want people to love us, and we're involved in all of this stuff, which is not a, I'm not, please, not a bad thing. But everything must come from our relationship with the Lord God. It all has to come from that. It all has to come from that. It's all about our relationship with God. And so what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 14 is that comparatively, as much as I love my wife, I love my wife. She's my favorite. I love her to death. But comparatively, comparatively, my love for Jesus Christ, she'd be like, Nikki who? I forgot you were there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Comparatively, I can't really do that. Okay, guys? You understand, man? You listen to what I'm saying? Don't do that. Comparatively. Remember the example of Abraham. He was given the son of promise. The apple of his eye, the most beautiful thing that he'd ever seen in his life was that boy Isaac. And he meant everything to Abraham. He was his greatest treasure. And he was the thing in his life that had the most meaning except for his relationship with God. Because God, when God said, I want you to take your only son whom you love and take him to a place I'm going to show you, and there I want you to offer him up as a burnt offering, Abraham didn't hesitate. And the Bible talks about all the things that were going through his mind. He contemplated in his mind, God has promised. He had made promises to Abraham that were going to come through Isaac, specifically by name. He had made these promises, and Abraham's milling this around in his head. Now God is going to have to fulfill all of these promises through a dead child. And Scripture tells us that Abraham concluded in his head that God would have to raise Isaac from the dead in order to fulfill all of the promises that he had made through him. But Abraham thought about these things, but his outward actions, obedience, because nothing was of more importance than his relationship with God. And of course, we understand and know God had no intention of him sacrificing Isaac. God was showing us a picture of Jesus Christ. God was showing us the picture of the day that the heavenly father was going to take his only son that he loves to a place that he had foretold and offer him up for us as an offering and a sacrifice. But really, but on the third day. And so figuratively, figuratively, in Abraham's mind, Isaac was put to death and resurrected. But his heart was undivided. His heart was undivided. God comes first in what? In all things, in all things in our lives. Uh, verses 17 and 18. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus deals directly with these two, not even bothering to address the obvious meanings of them. Don't kill people. Oh, that's easy enough, right? Like, all right, guys, listen, today's message, please, when you go out there this week, <laughs> try not to kill anybody, okay? It's like, 
okay, I could, you could have like texted me, you know what I mean? Like when I come to church for that, we get it, we understand. Same thing with adultery, right? But Jesus, when he deals directly with these two commandments, he doesn't even bother to address the obvious meaning, but instead with how it relates again to our hearts. In Matthew chapter 5 and verses 21 to 30, Jesus explains what lengths we must be willing to go to in order to avoid murder and adultery in our hearts. You can write that down, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 30, and you can read this later. He talks about murder, and he talks about the beginning of murder being hatred in our hearts, and that having that hatred in our hearts can bring us to the point of judgment, can bring us to the, to the point to the point of our relationship with God being directly affected or even broken. And he goes on to say to not even come to the altar of repentance or to give, to, or to give God any gift while there is a resentment between you and another person. Make it right today. Verses 25 and 26 of Matthew 5, Jesus says basically, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing, don't presume that God will take your side in a dispute with your neighbor. God may even allow you to lose the dispute to your loss because he would have had you rather have made peace with them than to win in an argument we were right about. This is, this is how Jesus teaches about murder because it all comes from hatred, unforgiveness, resentment in the heart. That's the root of it. Jesus says, forget the actual physical act of killing. It's like, hey, guess what, Jesus? I didn't kill anybody today. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, I wanted to. <laughs> and Jesus said, well, wait a second. Wait a second. What's happening? Stop and take inventory. What's happening in your heart then? What does that mean for your heart? That's where it all begins. And we're judged according to our hearts. When it comes to lust, uh, <clears throat> this is adultery of the heart. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus makes the famous statement about cutting off your right hand or plucking out uh, your right eye uh, in order to avoid. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it, cast it away from you. It's better to go into heaven with one hand than two hands and go into judgment, go into hell. Same thing with your eyeball. Jesus goes to these extreme lengths to encourage us to get away from these things. In other words, First of all, when it comes to murder, when it comes to hatred in our hearts, don't, don't come to church and give an offering to God and, and sing praises and act like everything's good with God while there's unresolved hatred between you and another human being. You make that right first. When it comes to lust, when it comes to adultery, Jesus goes a little crazier about that, doesn't he? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, obviously, Jesus is not literally telling people to cut their hands off and gouge their eyes out. The symbolism of the right hand, and it's all throughout Scripture. Do a word search on right hand. Do a, do a word search on that, and you'll see it throughout Scripture. It is the symbol of your strength. It is the symbol of, of what you are all about. It is the symbol of all the things that mean the most to you. Your right hand, your right eye, which is the lamp of your body. The, that when, when, when the Bible talks about the right hand, it's, it's who you are. It's what makes you who you are. What Jesus is saying is, it doesn't matter how near and dear something is to you. It could be a part of who you are as a person. It could be a thing that you hold most dear in your life. If it is causing you to have adultery in your heart through lust, or if it's causing you to commit actual adultery, cut it off. Get rid of it. Remove it from your life. 
We have the beautiful example of Joseph when he's sold into slavery and he's working in Potiphar's home. And Potiphar's, the Bible says, Joseph was a good-looking dude, man. And Potiphar's wife, man, she had eyes for Joseph. I mean, she followed him around, pursued him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she loved him. And one day when Potiphar was out of the house, she grabs hold of Joseph and propositions him. Right now, big boy. I mean, that's it. I mean, she wanted Joseph. I'll keep this G-rated here, guys. Sorry, guys. And, and, and he told me, no, I can't do this wicked thing. My master has put me in charge of everything. There's nothing in his possession that he hasn't put under my care except for you. And then Joseph says a beautiful thing. He says, how then could I sin against God and do this wicked thing? How then could I sin against God? And she's insistent. She's like, you're a slave and you're mine and I want you right now. Joseph wriggles out of his robe and runs naked from the house. Have you ever wanted to get away from sin that bad? I mean, it takes a lot to get me naked. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? I turn the lights out when I go from the bathroom door to the shower. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? To be willing. You know, we talk about the dream of waking up and you're, 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 you have the dream of you're in school in your underwear. You're sitting there and you realize you're naked or you're in your underwear. How many of you would be willing to just strip down in a, in a public place? or in front of people, right? Joseph was so convinced, and Joseph was so sure, and Joseph was so resolved in his heart to not sin, not allow that sin in his life, that he wriggled out of his robe, and he ran from there. Well, certainly he's going to be rewarded for that. What did Joseph get for it? The dungeon. It was her word against the slave, and Joseph went to the dungeon. He never lost faith. He never lost focus. He knew that he would be approved. Why? Because he had been obedient to the word of God. And he had been obedient to the word of God with every fabric of his being of who he was. I will never. This is how the Bible talks about dealing with lust. And it's a big one in the day. You know what I'm saying? You can't go down the highway. You can't walk into a 7-Eleven. You can't turn on the TV. It is everywhere. Our culture is absolutely marinated in it. Absolutely marinated in it. Everywhere. Lust, 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 lust. Everything. Not just, not just physical, physical lust with a man and a woman. Lust is more than just that, guys. It's that desire. It's that, it's that covetous heart to have things. And it becomes preeminent in our lives. The Bible says, flee from it. Run away from it. Jesus says, to have lust in our heart towards a woman or towards a man, if you're a woman, or a man, I guess. It is what it is, right? It's the culture we live in. To have lust in your heart towards someone that is not yours and that God has not given you to be your husband or your wife, as the Bible, as the Bible says, is already, already adultery. It's already fornication. And when Jesus said that, understand, it wasn't just like, they were, they were blown away by these teachings. Jesus says, I understand what I'm telling you guys. I understand what I'm saying to you. I'm telling you, your righteousness has to surpass the priests. And they're like, are you kidding me? Why? Because it has to be from your heart. I want, listen, I want to follow God. I want to know Jesus. I want to understand him. I want to be filled with the power of his presence in my life. I want to be used by him. I fall so far short. I blow it every day. But here's what I know. The Bible tells me because of Jesus Christ and his grace and his mercy, I can get up. I can get right up and move forward. That's the beauty of it. 
Um, let's see, where are we? 11.59, oh boy. All right, let's stop there. Let's stop there, right? We don't have to keep going. You guys want to go for another two hours? I mean, I got it right here. I got it right here. We'll stop there and we'll pick this up. We'll pick this up next week. That's good. Hey, listen to me. It's always about relationship. It's always about your heart, man. It's always about your heart. How, how, how do you get to heaven? How do you have a relationship with God? You have to want to. You have to want to. Husbands, we understand this. Your wife just doesn't want to hear I love you. She wants you to show her you love her. I love you, honey. Oh, I love you. Let's go out. Hit. No, I'm, listen, I'm going out with the boys. When are you going to be back? Next Thursday. I... <laughs> you love me. You love me. You know, and, and it busts our chops. You, 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 you put your clothes right next to the hamper, right there. The hamper's there, man. You can't, one more foot. You can't do that. I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. Well, then our wives, well, do you, how much do you care about me? Because I understand you can't, and you're, and you're dumb. I understand that, right? But it means something to me. But it means something to me. Can you put your clothes in the hamper? You love your wife. What do you say? Yeah, babe. I'll try. Yes, dear. Who said that? You say, Amen. Hey, yes, dear. Here's what I say. I'll try my best. <laughs> I will, because I will. I will try my best. I'm going to forget. I'm going to blow it. She's going to come in like two days later. One day, one streak, fatso, and it's on the floor again. You know what I mean? You have to want to. You want to have a relationship with God? What does it take? What does it take to be a child of God? What does it take to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I have to want to. But it, it, not this. Oh my gosh, people. Da, 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 people, 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 people in their mouths. They run their mouths. They run. Oh, da, 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 da. Lip service, lip service. Lip. We live in a culture of lip service, whether for good, for bad, whatever. People say all this stuff. You know what I mean? That's why they call it fake book, right? An Insta scam, right? Whatever. It's like, this is what my life really looks like. That's not what your life looks like. I've been to your house, you know. I hate your guts, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you see the picture on Instagram. Oh, you know what I mean? Oh, you know, all this stuff. And oh, my sister, we love each other so much. I've been there. I don't think you love each other as much as you say you do. The heart, the heart, the heart. God is after your heart. God is after your heart. He wants that relationship with you. And listen, he won't settle for anything less. He won't settle for anything less. And trust me, I know from personal experience, and so does Joe, <laughs> he will do things to you. He will do things to you. He will allow things in your life. If God loves me, why does he He will allow things in your life. Why? Why? You know what's more important than you being right with God? Tell me. Nothing. You got to remember God's economy, God's economy, God's economy. Hey, listen, don't worry about your food, your clothes, your raiment, where you're going to live. We, we, the Gentiles run around, pagans run around chasing after these things. And the Bible says, and your heavenly father knows you need them. He knows you need them. But you, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All those things will be added to you. And the Bible tells us, when you're going to store up treasures, don't store it up on earth. I need more money. I need more 401k. I need more this. I need more that. And those are all great things. We're very blessed in the culture and the society and the time that we live in. Those are not things to be guilty about. But if you're consumed by it, 
It's an idol in your life. Do something about that. Because my treasure should always be in heaven where no one can ever take it away from me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the beautiful relationship that we have with you through Jesus Christ, Father. Not of any good works of our own or uh, because of some good deed that we've done, Father, but because you loved us and because you've called us. And we are just beyond blown away, Father, uh, at the thought of that, that you would call us. Every single person who's here today is because you've called them to be here today, Father. And so I pray that you would show them for what purpose and what it is that you're calling them to do, Father, and that they would seek after your face and they would seek after you with all, of your, with all of their heart, Father, so that they would find you. I pray that each one of them would draw near to you, Father, and, and that you would in turn draw near to them. I pray, Father, that if they've never experienced real true worship in their hearts, Father, if they've never be, been overwhelmed or overcome by the love and the joy of the Lord, if your Holy Spirit has never overcome them, Father, and reduced them to tears, Lord, and just absolute joy and, and a bursting heart, Father, I pray that you would show them that. I pray, Father, you would show them who you are. I pray that you would show them how much you love them. And Lord, those of us who know you, Lord, those of us who are here today, Father, we know you. We know what you're all about. Help us to show people. Lord, help us not to be angry. Lord, help us not to be resentful. Help us not to be on one side of things or another side of things. Help us to be on your side, Lord. Help us to be on your side and to be proper and correct ambassadors of the, of the ministry and of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. Use us to, to further and advance your kingdom, Lord, and to glorify and lift up your name. Help us to be the fragrance of life to those seeking life, Father. And help us never, ever to compromise your holy word in our lives or in our testimony, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Love you, fam.